Ginjiro is in no particular hurry. He has taken his time moving carefully from town to town along the sparsely used and mostly unpopulated dirt trails through the Japanese countryside. He now finds himself in the dry yet still hot months of summer, picking his way along a rugged coastline with numerous, almost uncountable, small islands dotted off the coastline. This great inland sea, once a raging battleground during the fierce owning wars half a century ago, are now largely unpopulated and mostly home to a few scattered fishing towns along with a couple of trading ports. The twisting, winding road follows the contours of this rather wild land, dipping in and out of various gullies and washes and densely forested peninsulas sticking out into this great Japanese sea. Knowing that, with the end of the endless rains of the early summer, the tail end of summer is here, soon to be followed by a short fall, and then winter will hit, and Ginjiro will need his coin at that point for accommodation. Besides working a few small little odd jobs here and there along the way, the last month has been mostly uneventful. However, that always has the possibility to change. With a three on our route, if you have a reputation of six or more, a villain has found you. We do not. Therefore, a road encounter. Four and three. Four on the dark dice, three on the light dice. Descending down one of the steeper sections of trail along this twisting coastal road, Ginjiro hears a scream in the distance. A woman screaming. Generally not one to make other people's problems his business, Ginjiro doesn't really pick up the pace until he hears her scream again. Help! Help! The beast has my child. Please, somebody, anybody that can hear me, please help. In this extremely remote part of the Japanese coastline, far on the outskirts of a little fishing village, a peasant family who likely can barely scrape together enough to pay the local lord their share of whatever meager crops they're able to scrape out of the soil here. Ginjiro thinks to himself and realizes he might be the only hope. However, always wary, always on the lookout for a potential ambush, Ginjiro, with hand on his sword, begins to run along the trail towards where he heard the woman screaming. Before coming out of the underbrush, he hears a great roar. A great roar? Like that of a monster? Not knowing what to expect, Ginjiro draws his blade, throwing his hakama off of his shoulders, standing bare-chested with merely the hat upon his head, and stripped down only to his undergarments. Ginjiro, the orphan, comes bursting out of the woods, bashing aside a fallen tree with his sheer girth, then dramatically stops, gawking at the situation. A small Japanese farmhouse, no bigger than one or two rooms where a whole family would sleep and live together, is being circled by a hulking monster. A great, massive orange, white, and black striped beast. Some sort of massive cat. Something out of legends. Something out of mere stories whispered upon the trade lanes coming from distant lands. My question is, is Ginjiro, well, he probably has never seen one. He did live in a noble clan household, 
at least was around them for part of his life, is it at all possible he knows what this thing is? Going into our mythic GM emulator fate chart, I'm going to say it seems rather unlikely, so very unlikely. Zero two, extreme yes. Ginjuro knows exactly what this animal is. It's a tiger. He knows, in fact, he's likely even helped to take care of one of the beasts before. The Kazekane clan are known amongst the various clans for their collection of exotic animals in their menagerie. In fact, Ginjuro is even aware of the illegal animal trade between the far-off Ming dynasty of China and the powerful ruling daimyo families of Japan. Although trade is technically illegal between the great and powerful Ming dynasty and the far smaller distant Japanese islands due to the incredible amount of piratical activity that is ongoing due to the deteriorating political situation in Japan. Over the last 50 years, countless attacks have been conducted against the Chinese merchants traveling to the island. And eventually, the great Ming himself ordered a stop of all trade over to the Japanese islands. Naturally, this does not stop more entrepreneurial sorts from conducting illegal trade, and especially high-end luxury goods like exotic animals, silks, and spices. These goods fetch incredible prices within the Japanese elite circles, and it's likely that this tiger either escaped or the ship carrying it was attacked by pirates and it somehow got away or it escaped from captivity. Either way, this hulking brute of an animal, easily outweighing even the gigantic Ginjaro by two to three times, is just finishing up its meal of a man, a man Ginjaro can only assume is the husband of the woman who is now crying for help and sobbing uncontrollably upon the roof of their modest farmstead. Ginjaro charges across the field toward this massive cat, which looks up at him charging, drops the man's head back to the ground, and leaps towards Ginjaro. Now, we encounter a wild tiger, fight plus zero, block three, attacking a family. We chose to not ignore it, so we do not lose one compassion. This, however, does bring us into a fight. A fight that if we lose, may end up with us as the tiger's next meal. We both roll a six. However, with our plus two to our fight due to our katana, the tiger takes a massive leap towards us, and Ginjiro, with katana in hand, dives to his stomach as the tiger goes soaring over the top of him, attempting to use the blade to gut the tiger as it soars over his head. The dexterity of this massive hulking creature shocks Ginjiro as it twists out of the way, reducing its block to two. We both rolled a three. Turning around, Ginjiro sees the tiger landing into the dry, dusty soil, knocking over some of the plants which have been struggling against the intense heat of late summer. Turning back around to spring back at Ginjiro, Ginjiro swipes down at the massive creature, using the range of his katana to his advantage, scoring a minor hit on the tiger, which lets out a absolutely terrifying roar echoing throughout the entire clearing around this little farmhouse. With its roar of pain, Ginjiro feels a little bit of fear raising inside of his stomach. 
and the two of them come together. Using his massive bulk, Ginjiro uses the leverage of the flying tiger to whip it over the top of his head in a backwards somersault. As he does so, the tiger goes flying, smashing against the side of the farmhouse, collapsing part of it down on top of it. The children and the mother on top of the farmhouse scream in fear, and Ginjiro, seizing upon this advantage, rushes over to the tiger, which is just getting up out of the debris, and with one swift cut of his razor-sharp katana, decapitates the tiger, its head flying through the air, still biting and gnashing its teeth. And once again, our ronin, our Ginjiro, is covered in hot, warm blood staining his chest, covering his face, as he looks up to the woman upon the farmhouse, who stares down at him dumbstruck, with the bloody, drenched katana in hand. Normally, if you kill your opponent, you would lose compassion. In this case, I disagree. This wasn't a human. This wasn't a feral, attacking tiger. I am going to take plus one to our reputation. Eventually getting the terrified woman and her children down from the top of the farm, Ginjiro learns that the man was in fact her husband, and she is beside herself, not knowing how they're going to make ends meet. In exchange for allowing him to wash up and help prepare the meat from the tiger, Ginjiro agrees to let them have the hide, which if they're able to sell it or anything like that, trade it, could very easily allow them to hopefully recuperate some of the damages caused by this beast and the loss of her husband. After a decent night's sleep and a good meal of tiger meat, Ginjiro, early in the morning, just as the birds are first starting to chirp, secures his hakama around him, puts his hat back on his head, straps his katana to his waist, and picks up his satchel of what meager possessions he owns, and returns to the winding road along the great inner sea of Japan. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome back to One Guy, One Roll, the solo role-playing podcast where I, your host, player, and GM Hero Cities, play role-playing games for your listening pleasure. Once again, we are back in the world of Ronin, where we are playing as Ginjiro the Orphan. I really enjoyed this system when we played it last, and I think it is exceptionally good for making interesting and unique stories. Much like that tiger we just faced, I did not even know that was an option in this game to face a tiger. I'm happy to be back at home from work and able to once again record a podcast for y'all to listen to. It's likely going to be this way, like I said before, pretty much indefinitely from here on out, where I'll try to get two episodes done a month, but it's hard for me to promise just with life getting in the way, and of course, I'm gone half the month for work now. Regardless, as we find ourselves back playing the, I call it a one-shot, and I mean, it really is, but I kind of changed the organization system for the different games here at One Guy, One Roll. This is going to be called Season 3, where our continuing story of Season 1, playing Iron Sworn Starforged, is still continuing, where Season 2 was the literal one-shot for Artifact, and then now, here with Ronin, is Season 3. I kind of walked back the idea of having a complete one-guy, one-roll, one-shots section of the podcast and this just makes organization so much easier for me and easier for y'all I think to listen to the stories you want to listen to. 
maybe you don't like medieval Japan. So anything that says season three in front of it will be the Ronin RPG. However many episodes we end up going, whether Ginjaro gets cut down, eaten by a tiger, or whatever the situation may be. I don't think I'm going to continue to use the one guy, one roll, one shots labeling system, but maybe I will, maybe I won't. We'll just see how clunky the whole categorization problem becomes. Anyways, I hope you all find the new format easier to follow and understand what's going on. And if you have any comments or suggestions, honestly, the Reddit or Discord posts are the best place to reach out to me. Same goes with any comments you have about the show itself. Anyways, since this game is more or less episodic, and we don't really need to do much of a recap, let's get into it. Leaving the grieving family behind with their partially demolished farmhouse and dead father slash husband to bury, Ginjaro once again returns to the road. And before long, the various small farmsteads that are carved out of the encroaching, dense forests of Japan lead to a small collection of buildings situated on the edge of a great marshy tidal flat that stinks of rotting seaweed and gutted fish under the stinking hot Japanese afternoon sun. The smell wafts across the countryside and has led to this small little collection of more or less huts being forsaken by all but the most desperate of people who wander these tidal flats, collecting clams and other debris left behind as the tides surge out to sea. This small village, too small and too isolated to even have a name, responds with an interesting combination of fear and admiration when this hulking beast of a man with a scarred face and a katana strapped to his hip wanders into town. Ginjiro doesn't even have to spend long in town before he gets confronted by an old man who has lived in this stinking village his entire life. He learns from this man about a rivalry between them and another village far on the other side of these massive tidal flats that stretch across the shallow bay. While not in open warfare, the people of the other village and the people of this village compete with each other over the shellfish that occupy these massive tidal flats. These shellfish are considered by the various clans of this region to be of the best quality found anywhere within the Inland Sea. However, deciding not to make it part of his problem, Ginjiro merely tosses a couple of small coppers to the old man and asks if he can spend the night in the village, which earns us one determination. I don't think I've mentioned it yet, but basically determination allows us to re-roll a dice during a fight. There might be other uses for it, but the primary use is to re-roll those dice. I guess it technically is to roll any dice again, but part of the fun of exploring like this is you never know what you're going to get. Not really interested in getting involved in the struggles between these two villages, Ginjiro waits for the tide to go out in the morning and proceeds to make his way across the bay, hoping to cut some of the time off of his journey. However, the deep, thick, sucking mud and muck and decaying seaweed makes it an incredibly difficult journey, especially under the oppressive Japanese summer sun. 
takes most of the day, including having to swim across a river that was pouring into this bay. By the time he reaches the other small village, the day has been spent, and he once again, under the mistrustful eye of the villagers, spends the night and early in the morning continues his way along the twisting, winding road. We rolled a four. We do not have a reputation of five yet, so we have a road encounter. As the summer begins its final winding down, Ginjiro finds himself cutting inland away from the sea. The faster road turns north into the densely forested foothills of the Japanese Alps. More or less rolling hills at this point, the road cuts through the dense forest, the leaves not yet turning color. However, the nights have begun to cool off as our wandering ronin follows the road as it climbs ever slightly higher, following a valley into the mountains. Now over a week since he was at the tidal villages, Ginjiro finds himself at an impasse. The bridge, which would normally go across the rather large river, is missing. The simple rope bridge, at least according to Ginjiro's eye, has been cut cleanly through and fallen down onto the rapids below. Clearly the work of someone, Ginjiro begins to pick his way down to the river where he will have to make his way carefully across the rapids at this point. As he begins to pick his way from rock to rock, he hears a laugh from behind him. Turning around, Ginjiro, this giant imposing man, sees two individuals standing on the bank behind him, wielding clubs, shirtless, and merely wearing basic garments wrapped around their waist. One of them is laughing and smacking his club on his hand, while the other, scarred and missing an eye, glares at him, thinking he can just turn around and continue his way across the rocks. Yet another one of these thugs comes out of the underbrush. This one, with unusually spiky hair, grins evilly at Ginjiro, stuck in the middle of this river on the rocks that make up these rapids. We have encountered three thugs. These thugs are wielding clubs. These thugs have a fight plus zero and a block of zero. The one who is clearly the ringleader with the spiky hair looks down upon Ginjiro as he is, well, not very gracefully making his way across the slippery rocks in the river. Well, well, what do we have here? It seems like somebody was thinking of passing by without paying the toll. As you can see, he gestures towards the bridge. Some more nefarious people than us have decided that they don't want a bridge here anymore and appear to have cut it down. Now, he gestures at his friends on the other side of the river behind Ginjiro, my friends and I are collecting tolls to help repair the bridge. And you, my fine... He looks down at Ginjiro, seeing the sword on his hip and the faded hakama he wears. My once, I'm guessing, noble companion. Hand over that pretty sword and whatever's in that bag, and you can walk away. My friends and I, of course, are men of our words, he says with a even somehow eviler smile. Trapped between the three thugs and in a rather precarious position for fighting, Kinjiro draws his katana and grunts out, You'll have to pry it from my cold, dead hands and not so gracefully charges across the rocks towards the apparent ringleader of these thugs. That, of course, brings us into a fight. 
Now, in Ronin, it's generally assumed that if you are fighting against multiple enemies, you engage them one at a time. It's just the way the rules are structured and how it works. So, as Ginjiro charges across the rather precariously slippery rocks towards the ringleader, we both get fives with our plus two. Ginjiro, deftly for a man of his size, leaps across the final gap between the rocks and the shore, while simultaneously bringing his katana down on top of the club the leader is holding, out to try and deflect this blow. However, the finely honed katana of Ginjiro's slices straight through the club and into the man's arm, with half of the club falling to the ground and the man deeply wounded on his arm. He falls to the ground, crying in pain. His friends on the other shore begin trying to pelt Ginjiro with rocks, a couple of which Ginjiro has to knock out of the sky as they're flying towards him. Reaching down for the man, who is now bleeding profusely from his cut arm, he holds him in front of him with his sword at his neck. Drop the clubs or I'll cut his throat, Ginjiro says, tilting the hat back to reveal the rather imposing scar leading up the side of his mouth nearly to his eye. We are going to attempt to intimidate them. We roll two dice. The dark die, of course, is the opponent's. Ours is the light die. We add our reputation, which for us is a three. Crushed it. We got a nine. They got a three. The two men on the other side of the river, seeing Ginjiro, this giant scarred man with cold eyes, holding their leader, the best of them, with a sword at his neck, drop their clubs to the ground and scurry away back into the underbrush. Ginjiro, not one to kill out of spite, yet thinking maybe he would leave the roads better than he found them, ties the man up against a tree back up on the road, still bleeding from his arm, but not a fatal wound, carves into the man's cheek the well-recognized symbol for a criminal. The man would be forever branded, and if he's found by the authorities, likely hung or otherwise killed. This will give us plus one to our reputation, bringing our reputation up to four. Feeling better about the situation he left behind, hoping that he scared these really rather pathetic thugs straight. Once again, back on the road, Ginjiro lets out a sigh of relief as the hot summer day cools off quicker in the mountains. And as night begins to settle, he arrives in a small mountain town, no more than a couple dozen scattered buildings along the river, the same river he just fought the thugs at. This little mountain town, watched over by nothing more than a villager with a bell to ring in case of any problems, is sleepy and shut up for the night. However, Ginjiro, wandering into town at this late hour, ducks into the small little local inn, which is really nothing more than a dirt floor, thatch-roofed building with a fire pit in the middle and a lonely old man tending it. However, sitting on a bench in one of the corners of this dimly lit room, illuminated by nothing more than the flickering firelight from the smoky, wet fire, is the absolute last person Ginjiro expected to see. Someone he has not seen in well over a decade. The man who helped train him to be a warrior. The man who was the Kazekani spear militia captain, Shin. 
He is now gray-haired and advanced in age, probably in his mid to late 60s, which is quite old for this time. His long, sun-drenched skin is covered in speckles and spots after decades of being out in the sun. Ginjiro barely would have recognized him, except for leaning up in the corner behind him. His infamous naginata, known simply as Kiru, and its intricately designed, multicolored, fire-hardened shaft and folded steel blade. There's really no other naginata like it in all of Japan. The old, wizened man merely glances up at the tall, imposing Ginjiro as he barely fits through the doorway. A faint look of recognition crosses his face, as does a broad smile. And with that, our episode fades to black. Thank you, thank you so much for listening to the One Guy One Roll podcast as we are playing through the Ronin RPG following the story of Ginjiro the Orphan as he more or less wanders his way across Sengoku-era feudal Japan. I hope y'all enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed making it. For being how many pages? Cover to cover, 28 pages. This system is capable of telling incredible stories. Of course, I also utilize a couple of other resources to help spur my brain to come up with more interesting scenarios. Today, we used the Mythic GM emulator, but the majority of my inspiration comes from the oracles within the Iron Sworn rulebook. Just the basic rulebook kind of caters more to the feudal-ish atmosphere of Ronin, as opposed to like Ironsworn Starforged or anything else like that. It just goes to show you what a good oracle can do to really come up with ideas. Something simple like that river crossing was more or less completely generated from one roll on one oracle in Ironsworn. That being said, I kind of really enjoy the more episodic nature of the Ronin RPG, and it's probably my intention to finish up the story of Ginjaro before going back to Ironsworn Starforged and continuing with our story of Nakora and the rest of the crew aboard the Second Chance. As always, a huge thank you to everybody who listens to the One Guy, One Roll podcast. I do all the recording, the editing, and the storytelling for all y'all. And without your ongoing listening and support, there would be no project at all to do. However, if you wish to provide a little monetary support to help keep the podcast going and allow me to further improve the quality of not only the recording, but also allows me to purchase all of the various materials, the books, the the PDFs, and everything else, including new recording equipment, which is number one on my list of things to upgrade for the podcast. I do have a Patreon over on patreon.com slash one guy, one roll. Even a couple bucks a month really goes a long way to helping support this project, and it would not be possible to do so. An especially big thank you to everyone over on Patreon who does support the podcast, including Journeyman Wes, Journeyman Nick, Journeyman JL, Journeyman Stefan, Journeyman James, Journeyman Matt, and Apprentice Sam. 
Thank you so much, you guys. Once again, your support helps to go directly to this podcast, and it would really not be financially possible without y'all. Thank you so much. Anyways, it is my intention to hopefully be able to record another podcast next week before I have to go back to work. However, if I don't, thank you so much for listening. Each and every one of you are incredible. I have been your host, player, and GM Hero Cities, signing off. Have a great day and stay safe out there, y'all.